This episode, we talk about why the COVID lockdowns are a complete failure and why the lessons of Advent are particularly relevant in our current situation. My name is Jacqueline, and I'm just an American. As we enter the week of Christmas, we are seeing different parts of the world and different parts of the United States go back into lockdown mode, or at least attempt to head back down into lockdown mode as the cases of COVID-19 surge throughout the country and throughout different parts of the world. We are supposedly seeing right now the highest case counts, hospitalizations, and deaths of the entire pandemic. Here in Southern California, they are telling us that the ICU units are completely full, our hospitals are at capacity, and if things continue on this trajectory, things are going to become pretty catastrophic pretty quickly. Our media and those who follow them keep asking, why? Why won't people just listen? Why won't people just stay isolated at home? Why won't people just give up their holidays and give up their families and give up their businesses and give up everything to just listen and stay isolated at home in order to stop the spread when they see what is happening, when they see the news stories, when they see the hospitals and all of these things that are taking place. My biggest question that I ask is, why are we doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results? California had the first extreme lockdown in the country. We were the first state to issue the stay-at-home order and to stay, to close all of the businesses and everything that was deemed, quote-unquote, non-essential. Where I live, the part of California where I live, we have actually had mask mandates in place since April. We have had no indoor dining since the original lockdown in March. Our indoor dining never opened up since that time. Schools have been closed since March, and really playgrounds in my neighborhood barely opened up for kids to start playing again back in, like, October. All of these lockdowns, all of these rules, all of these regulations have been in place for pretty much this entire year in the state of California. And yet our cases and our hospitalizations and all of those things are pretty much the epicenter of the epidemic in the United States at this point. So it seems a pretty obvious question that we should all be asking is, have what we've been doing, have these lockdowns and these measures that we have been taking, has it been working? And the answer to that question is a pretty obvious no. Now, people will argue and say, oh, well, the reason why the lockdowns aren't working is because people aren't listening. The reasons why the lockdowns aren't working is because people aren't doing what they are told. They aren't doing what the government is telling them to do. And that is why we are seeing the situations that we are seeing. It is all about the gatherings at people's personal homes. It is all about, you know, the lack of safety protocols that people are taking when they're meeting privately. And so whatever we're doing publicly, whatever we are mandating for public behavior, that cannot be mandated inside of people's homes. And that is why the lockdowns aren't working. My response to that is, okay, so the lockdowns aren't working. I mean, basically what we all seem to be missing when it comes to this entire conversation is the question of what can the government actually control in a free country such as ours? The truth is, is that the governments cannot control what people do in their own homes. They cannot control private gatherings, no matter their wording on trying to do so. I mean, I always laugh when I see these statements that are issued by you know, our politicians here in California and in different places across the country where they say, you know, private gatherings with people outside of your household are prohibited. And it's like you look at that and you're like, 
yeah, right. I mean, what are you going to do about it? You literally cannot do anything about that. And the local police departments and sheriff's departments understand that they can't do anything about that, which is why they have said that they will not be knocking on people's doors to count how many guests you have at your Thanksgiving dinner. There's only so much that the government can do to control people. And this is the fundamental reason why the lockdowns have failed. What government does have the ability to control, there are things that government does have the ability to control. Okay, so they have the ability to control health recommendations. They have the ability to control things like hospital capacity and and how our hospitals work and function. And yes, they have the ability to control business lockdowns and rules and regulations in the public arena. So let's kind of talk about a couple of those things. So health recommendations. Yes, they can try to inform people on the situation. They can try to inform people on what steps they can take to protect themselves. As I have said in many times that people who are elderly, people who have a lot of pre-existing conditions, I can understand why those people are more concerned and more fearful of the situation. And if you are who falls into that category and you make the choice for yourself that you want to protect yourself, you can look to some of these guidelines and, and say, okay, this is what I should be doing. This is what I shouldn't be doing. And you can go from there. But they must also accept, and by they, I mean the government, must also accept the fact that they cannot force people to do the things that they are saying. If somebody is elderly, but they say, you know what, I'm going to take the risk because I am not willing to spend a year away from the people that I love, the government can't force them to do otherwise. Just as you can tell people that eating healthy and exercising is the best thing for their health, but you cannot issue fines for people who choose not to exercise or make it illegal to go buy a cheeseburger. At least those things cannot be done in a free country, which the United States supposedly is. Now, I understand that the argument is that, you know, COVID is a contagious disease and your actions affect others. But we have to be realistic about how much the government will be able to control people. But if the government wants to participate in an education campaign, if the government wants to say, okay, here is a situation and here are some steps you could take to keep yourself safe, if you are concerned, that is perfectly acceptable and reasonable for them to do. Another thing that the government can actually do something about is hospital capacity. And they have had, at this point, 10 months to do something about that. For 10 months, we have been hearing about the second fall wave that we are expected to have. For 10 months, they have been warning us of the danger of COVID mixed in with flu season in the winter. And yet, where are the convention center hospitals? Where are the Navy ships that were off the coast of Los Angeles back in the spring? Where are these extra resources when they have been telling us that these things are expected and that this second wave that we are seeing right now is something that has been expected and that they have been aware is coming? The health director for the county of Los Angeles, I believe her name is Dr. Ferrer, said that this spike in cases was unpredictable, that it was unexpected. And I just I just could not believe my ears when I heard that. They have been saying to us that we are going to see a second wave in the fall and that that coupled with flu season was going to be put a strain on our hospitals since the springtime. And yet we are being told by these people, by these politicians and these health directors and these government leaders that the problem is us, that the problem is that we're not listening to them 
And that I do believe is a distraction tactic. I believe that they are telling us that we are the problem, that Americans are the problem, that people mixing are the problem. And that is done to take away and to distract from the fact that they have had 10 months to prepare for this surge and have not done so, have not done what they needed to do. One thing that I really wish my fellow Americans would understand is that for those people in power, whether it be government, whether it be media, for the people who are in power, they benefit when we fight amongst ourselves. They benefit when instead of looking at them and saying, okay, how did you guys handle this situation? They get us to instead look at our neighbor and fight with our neighbor and be angry with our neighbor because of the choices that they are making. Okay, so they have had time to prepare for this situation and they have failed at doing so. And they have failed at doing so partially because they have spent so much time focusing on the things that they can't control. For instance, the behavior of every single citizen in this country instead of preparing for the things they can control, like getting our hospitals prepared. Another thing that the government does have control over to a certain extent is regulations on on businesses and on things that happen outside of people's homes. So governments can tell businesses that they need to shut down amidst a public health crisis and they have done so. And if those businesses refuse to shut down, they can be issued fines. They can have their licenses take away. For instance, restaurants can have their liquor licenses take away. The government does have the ability to make life pretty miserable for businesses that refuse to comply with their health orders. But I think that one of the things that we can say at this point is that shutting down businesses has not solved the problem. Shutting down businesses and making people's livelihoods disappear and making businesses close down permanently, that has not solved the problem. We have been doing that since March. We have really harmed our small business community in this country and particularly in this state this year. I mean, decimated it is probably a better word for it. And yet we still see hospitals full. We still see case numbers out of control. And it is because it is not working. And it is because once again, you cannot control what people do in their homes. The reason why I think what all of this comes down to is that the reason why our leadership has failed in this situation is ultimately for the same reason that socialism fails. And ironically, the same people believe in, tend to at least believe in and push both policies. The reason why both of these policies fail is because they completely ignore the reality of human nature. Socialism fails because no one is going to work as hard as a doctor working 18 hour days and with the stress that comes with that position when they will make the the same compensation if they are a checker at the grocery store. It completely pushes aside human nature on what motivates us to excel and work hard. In the same way, these lockdowns fail because they completely ignore the fact that human nature dictates that people will simply not stay locked in their homes, isolated from their loved ones for a year and a half. People will simply not stand by and watch the government decimate their businesses, which they have worked hard for, and which are the means for which they pay their mortgage and feed their families without putting up a fight for it. People will not simply stand by and watch their kids fall into a depression due to loneliness, or watch them suffer emotionally and mentally for having their lives turned upside down, and their family members and friends taken away from them for a year and a half, or watch them struggle academically in ways that will affect them, possibly for their entire lives, and sit back and do nothing about it. People simply aren't 
aren't going to do it. And anyone in government who actually thought that people would accept our lives coming to a complete standstill and being affected in these devastating, catastrophic ways with long-term consequences, anybody in government who actually thought that that was a viable solution to this situation does not deserve to be in government. And just like in socialism, millions of Americans have decided that the problem here Okay, that the problem here is not the government, is not the people who are making these terrible decisions, but that the problem here are their fellow Americans who are who are not just standing back and saying, "Okay, I'm simply going to do as I am told. The problem here are the parents who are concerned about the well-being and lifelong ramifications of these lockdowns on our kids. The problem are the business owners who are watching the government destroy their livelihoods permanently. The problem are the people who have decided that depression and loneliness aren't acceptable in the face of a virus with a 99.6% survival rate. The media and the politicians have convinced those people, those Americans, that the correct action here is to viciously attack and insult those who aren't falling in line with what they are telling people that we need to accept. This is wrong and a failure on every single level. The politicians and the media have convinced millions of Americans that all of the people who fall into the categories I just listed, that they are the problem here, that they are the problem here, that people who are looking at the situation and saying, you know what, COVID-19 is a serious problem that our country and our world is facing, but it is not the only thing in the world that matters, okay, that there are other things in the world that matter besides COVID-19. And we cannot just turn a blind eye to all of those things and all of these devastating consequences just because people are afraid of this virus. Millions of Americans have been convinced that the correct action in this situation is to attack their fellow Americans, is to viciously call people names, to pass judgment on people, to tell people that they are selfish for caring about their kids' well-being or caring about their ability to feed their families, okay, because they are not staying home and isolating over their fear for this virus. In all of the things that have happened this year, in all of the challenges that we have seen and that we have faced in this year, one of the most disturbing things that I have seen is the level of judgment that people have been leveling at their fellow citizens. We keep hearing the phrase, we are in this together, we are in this together, but we are most definitely not in this together. We cannot be in this together when so many people jump to attacking and name calling and even threatening those with whom they disagree instead of having a conversation about how we should move forward in this challenge and what the consequences are for every single decision that is being made. I am so tired of people acting as though these lockdowns have no consequences. I am so tired of people acting as though all we are being told to do is to just stay at home and be comfortable and watch Netflix and there's no other ramifications to these situations. From the very beginning, my philosophy has been that this virus is not statistically dangerous for my family. My family, we are all under 40. We are in very good health with no comorbidities. We are, my husband and I are in good physical shape. My children are healthy. And according to science, the very science that I am constantly being told that I am supposed to listen to, according to science, this virus isn't going to kill me or my husband or my children. Now, can I say that 100%? No, I can't. Just like I can't say 100% that a plane won't crash into my house today and kill us all or that I won't have a heart attack. Or that our car won't get into a a terrible accident the next time that we get into it going to go somewhere. But if I am looking at science, okay, which again, I am told that I have to do, then my family is not at a significant threat from this virus. From the beginning, I have said that I fully understand 
fully understand why certain people are more fearful than me. People who are over 70, people who have a significant number of health issues. And if those people, okay, even my loved ones, if they choose to stay at home and to isolate and to not see me for months and months and months on end, I understand and I respect that. Everyone should because people need to make the best decisions for themselves. But one of the saddest things that I have seen this year is that that respect and that consideration for other people, that really what it comes down to is empathy and compassion for other people is not reciprocated. Those who make a different choice, those who say, you know what, I have my own situation that I have to look at. I have three school-age children who I have to worry about their overall well-being in this situation, or I have to keep my business alive because otherwise my family is going to be homeless. Okay, we are being completely attacked. We are being ignored. We are being called selfish. We are being called grandma killers. We are being told that we don't care about the lives of innocent people. That lack of compassion, that lack of empathy that people have shown is very problematic and it's very sad for me. Now, the argument that a lot of these people make is that the reason why they're okay and the reason why they're justified in attacking people who are not following the isolation and quarantine guidelines, the reason why they're okay in doing that is because our, our actions and our decisions affect them, right? That the decisions that we make are contributing to the spread of this virus, which directly impacts them. And oftentimes they'll compare it to other things in our society, other limitations on our freedom that are designed to protect the welfare of the community. Americans every single day accept limitations on our freedom in order to keep our fellow citizens safe. Okay. And they'll compare it, for example, to speed limits on the freeway. Right. And they'll say like, hey, there's a speed limit on the freeway. You can't just drive how fast you want. There is a limit to your freedom on that. And we all accept that. So why can't we accept this? Well, the difference is in the reasonableness of what is being demanded of us. When you tell somebody, okay, instead of driving 100 miles an hour on the freeway, you're limiting yourself to 70 miles an hour. That is a reasonable restriction on our freedom. That is not any in any world comparable to telling people that they are not allowed to go to church to worship God the way that they choose to worship God. That is not comparable to telling people that they have to isolate their children and to take away their children's education, okay, which will lead to lifelong consequences. That is not comparable to telling people that they have to sit by and watch the government decimate their livelihood and destroy their business and take away the ability for them to provide for their families. Those two things are not comparable. And to people who make that comparison, that, I'm sorry, but it is intellectually dishonest at best. We have to consider what we are asking people to do. We have to consider what we are asking people to give up, okay? And to tell somebody that, hey, you're not allowed to drink a bunch of alcohol and then get in a car and drive, to say and to pretend that that is on the same level as asking somebody to make their life come to a standstill with major economic and psychological and emotional ramifications for that decision, asking people to do that for one to what, two years by the time the, the vaccine is widespread enough to, to actually make a difference and put a stop to this. That is not a reasonable thing to ask people to do. And it is about time that we all stand up and say, you know what, this is not reasonable. These are these guidelines, these restrictions, they are not reasonable. And that is why they are not working. The reason why these restrictions are not working is because they are not reasonable. And another way that I know, another proof that I have to show that what I'm saying is absolutely accurate is in the absolute hypocrisy of all of the people from politicians to regular American citizens when it comes to these restrictions. 
Now, we've all seen the news stories, right? We've all seen the news stories about all the politicians who have broken their own protocols. We have seen the picture of Gavin Newsom, the governor of the state of California, dining in the restaurant shoulder to shoulder with multiple households gathered at the same table, not wearing masks, right? We've all seen that. He got a lot of criticism for that photo, but there is so much more to it, okay? This is a guy, Gavin Newsom, who has actually been sending his children to in-person education, in-person schooling at a private school in California while denying California school children who attend public school that same benefit. Now, I don't care for Gavin Newsom, but I have no doubt in my mind, I have no reason to believe, I should say, that he doesn't love his children, that he doesn't love his children just as much as any other parent loves their child. And yet he doesn't seem to have a problem. He doesn't seem to have a concern with sending his child to in-person schooling. He doesn't seem to be concerned about the well-being of the teachers at his children's school that have been exposed to all of their students over the last four months. Okay, so he has done all of those things. We have all seen Nancy Pelosi getting her hair done. And we have seen over the Thanksgiving holiday, all of the politicians who warned Americans against travel, who warned Americans against getting together with their families and then proceeded to get on an airplane to go gather with their families or who issued speeches about the importance of staying at home from their Mexican resort that they were staying at on vacation. We have all seen these examples of hypocrisy. I, I recently saw a news story that Dr. Deborah Burks herself was together with her family over the Thanksgiving holiday at a property that they own. And she was with members of different households and they shared a meal together. <clears throat> when you look at all of these all of these people who are telling us to stay at home, they have not been following those same orders. But the truth is, is that even our fellow Americans who are getting on social media and criticizing everybody for not taking this virus seriously and not quarantining and not giving up their Christmases. Okay. These are people who have hosted gatherings at their house. These are people who have attended gatherings with people and seen people outside of their household over the last 10 months. These are people who have gotten in the car and gone on, gone on road trips, who have done things and lived their lives. Do not mistake me, okay? I am not attacking these people for the sake of attacking these people. My point that I am trying to make in pointing all of this out and pointing out this hypocrisy is that when it is absolutely impossible for people, even people who are afraid of this virus, even people who say and claim that they are taking COVID seriously, when it is impossible for them to follow these lockdowns and to follow these guidelines, it is beyond time for us to stop and to say, is any of this reasonable? Is any of this reasonable? And the answer is clearly no. So why don't we stop pretending? Why don't we stop pretending that lockdowns are a viable solution to this virus? Why don't we stop pretending that it is reasonable or that it is even possible for people to give up their livelihoods, give up their, their interactions with their family members, to give up all of these things that we're asking people to do. Okay. It's like, it's like we're all participating in this make-believe show that nobody actually believes in and nobody is actually following. So why don't we just stop with the games and stop with the pretending and start being honest about what could actually be a solution and what we could actually do to solve this problem. So Instead of pretending that lockdowns work and continuing to double down on policies that clearly are not solving the problem, what are some things that we should have done or we could have done? Well, I think that first and foremost, we could have focused more on protecting the vulnerable. 
We knew from the very beginning that this virus was particularly dangerous for people who were elderly and people who had a lot of comorbidities. The policies that were enacted by many governors to put COVID-positive patients back into nursing homes had catastrophic consequences. And the fact that we have not pointed that out more and talked about that more and focused on that more shows how politicized this entire situation has become, okay? Because we are all too willing to give passes to governors like Andrew Cuomo, whose policies were devastating for the nursing home population in his state, but nobody wants to talk about it because he's a Democrat and we can't criticize Democrats. So we knew that this was dangerous for those people. We could have done better things. We could have focused our testing, focused our policies on, you know, those facilities that specifically cater to elderly people or people with pre-existing conditions. Put the testing resources into those areas, okay, so that we could protect the people who are most at risk for this. The second thing that we could have done is, as I've talked about extensively, increase hospital capacity. Okay, that was something that, again, was within the control of the people in in charge that they could have focused on. And, you know, I I wonder, you know, look, I'm not a doctor, I'm not an epidemiologist, but I do wonder at the decision to quarantine young and healthy people over the last 10 months, particularly over the months like spring and summer, where we were not in flu season, where the hospitals were not overwhelmed. You know, I wonder if in retrospect, it would have been better to allow young and healthy people to live more normally during those times so that if they contracted the virus during those times, then they were doing so when the hospitals were not full. They were doing so when it was not flu season. They could have had it. They could have gotten over it as 99.6% of people do. And then right now, those people would not be spreading the virus. Instead, what we did was we locked every up And then now as people are getting pandemic fatigue and are just over it and are tired of it and are just getting back to living their lives because they can't do it anymore. Now the virus is spreading at a time when it's coupled with flu season and other situations that are contributing to making our hospitals full. Now, are any of these solutions great? Nope, absolutely not. And the reality is, I believe that there was never going to be a great solution to this situation. I think the greatest problem that we have had in facing this situation is our false assumption that all things are within our control. Our false assumption that the government can solve all problems. It can't. We were never going to stop this virus from spreading. That was a lie from the beginning. All of the people who said, if everybody just stays home, if everybody just stays home, they're going to stop this virus from spreading. We'll, We'll stamp it out and we'll eliminate it. That was never going to happen. All we could have done this entire time was to mitigate it and respond to it as well as we could. That was all we were ever going to be able to do. And I think that our denial of that reality, our denial of the reality that there are things in this world and things in this life that we can't control, bad things that are going to happen, our denial of that reality is what caused us to mishandle this situation. And now I don't even know. Now we're in a situation where the virus is widespread, hospitals are full, and and businesses are decimated. Children are suffering lifelong consequences. Depression and suicide are high. And our national debt is completely out of control, which is something that our children will have to deal with someday. The denial of the realities of human nature, the denial of the realities of what things are actually in our control versus what aren't in our control have put us in a pretty dire situation indeed. And it is really interesting to me that so much of this does seem to be coming to a head during the season of Advent as we approach Christmas. As a Christian, Advent is a time in which we are anxiously awaiting the creator of the universe, God himself, coming to earth and manifesting himself as a human being, which is Jesus Christ. 
Interestingly, the two ideas that are the most prevalent during the season of Advent are hope and humility. It is a good reminder to us that no matter how dark our situation may seem, we have the ability to hold on to hope because of Jesus. When we look at the challenges of this year, it is very easy to allow our hope to be tied to worldly matters. We put our hope in the ending of the pandemic and stopping the situation that we all find ourselves in. When we look at the challenges of this year, it is very easy to allow our hope to be tied to worldly matters. We put our hope in the idea of the pandemic coming to an end. We put our hope in having our chosen politician elected to office. Many people, too many people, are putting their hope in their fellow citizens making the choices that they want them to make. But if you are a believer, this is not where we are supposed to put our hope. We can have hope because Christ has overcome the world. John 16, tells us, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. There is never any question in the Bible for those who read the Bible. There is never any question that we are going to face challenges, suffering, and difficulties in this world. We know that that is coming. As Christians, we are supposed to know that that is coming. We know that that is a part of this life. And we are told over and over again in the Bible, do not be afraid. Have faith in Christ. Have faith in Jesus because Jesus is where our hope is supposed to lie. Through him, we know that things are going to be okay. Maybe they're not going to be okay in this life. Maybe things are not going to go the way we want them to go in this life. But overall, in general, in the big picture, in the big scheme of things, in God's grand plan, everything happens for the good of those who love him. This is what the Bible tells us. And if you are a person of faith, if you are a believer, this is what we are called on to put our faith in and to believe in. This is one of the main ideas of the season of Advent. The other main idea of the season of Advent is humility. Okay, we are reminded of our call to humility by Christ being born in a manger. We remember that Christ, as the king of the universe, could have been born in a castle if he chose to. He could have been born rich. He could have been born in luxury. And instead, he chose to be born in the most humble of circumstances to a woman who was at the time a nobody by worldly standards, to a woman in a situation where she would have been an outcast. She would have been really put down by those of that, of that society of that time for being with child and not being married at the time. Okay, he did everything. He did everything in the sense of humility. From birth to death, Jesus was a perfect example of humility. He was a perfect example of putting himself last, of self-sacrifice and giving for others. And it is something that is really hard. It is very difficult for us as human beings to be humble. We all think we are right in our thoughts and in our actions. If we didn't, we wouldn't think those things or act in that way. But when we are called to be humble, when we are called to humility, the reason for that is because we are not perfect. We are not right all the time. We are not perfect all of the time. And so we are called to be humble. We are called to have that humility because we need to show grace and and charity to our fellow human beings that sometimes they are going to do things that we don't understand. Sometimes they are going to do things that we might even think are wrong and bad decisions and, you know, harmful to society. But we are supposed to be humble and recognize that we are all sinners, that we are all people who make mistakes and who make wrong choices sometimes. And so that is why we have to have humility and we have to show grace to one another. So as we approach Christmas, let us be reminded of the virtue of humility. 
Let us be reminded that we are called on to worry about our own choices and behavior and to make the choices and do the things that we think are, are, are right, that we believe are right, that Christ tells us are the right things to do, that, that the Bible tells us are the right things to do. We all have our ideas about how other people should be living their lives and how they should be acting and what they should be doing, and yet we are, we are not called to do that. We are called to focus on our actions. We are called to focus on doing the right thing ourselves and making the world a better place by making ourselves better and more humble and more charitable and show to people who show more grace and love to our fellow citizen. Love your neighbor as thyself. So as we approach Christmas, let us be reminded that we are called to worry about our own choices and behavior. Let us remember that other people, whether they choose to stay home or whether they choose to gather to celebrate their holidays, have their own reasons for doing so. Let us remember that mental and emotional health, especially of children, is just as important as physical safety. Let us remember that COVID-19 is not the only thing in the world that can kill you and that tomorrow is not promised to any of us, no matter how healthy or young. We hear the, the, the health experts and, and the politicians who are begging people to stay home and to not celebrate this Christmas holiday or any other holiday right now. We are hearing them say, use the argument, there's always next year, you know, be safe this year so that you can all be together and everybody in your family will be here next year. But the truth is, is that 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 idea will not apply to millions of people in this world who are not going to be here for next Christmas, not at all related to COVID-19. Let us remember that tomorrow is not promised. Let us remember that COVID-19 is not the only thing in the world that can kill you and that tomorrow is not promised to any of us, no matter how healthy or young we are. The public health experts and the politicians who are begging people to not get together with loved ones this Christmas, their their argument is there's always next year to celebrate the holidays, that if you are safe this year and you stay home this year, then we can all be together and we can guarantee that all of our family will be together for next Christmas. But nobody can make that guarantee. We are not promised tomorrow and we are called to appreciate every single day and to live life to the fullest every single day. Let us remember the lessons that are taught in Advent and Christmas about hope, humility, love, and charity, and let us carry those lessons throughout the entire year. Let us remember to always focus on the things that are the most important. I hope everyone listening has a very Merry Christmas and a blessed New Year. I will be back in the New Year to continue to talk about issues affecting American life from the perspective of Just an American. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and give it a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps each and every week. Also, please share this episode with a family member or friend so we can help spread the word. You can follow me on Twitter at JJNAmerican. You can also message the show by sending an email to JJ at I'mJustAnAmerican.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at I'mJustAnAmerican. Music for this podcast was written and performed by Michael Beatty. You can find him on Twitter at Michael Beatty3.